Welcome to the Built Not Born podcast presented by Edge Leadership Academy. I'm your host, David Kitchen, and every week I'm going to be having conversations with some of the top leaders in their fields to figure out what built them into the leaders they are today and what we can all take away from their journey. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share, like, and leave a review so we can continue to bring you more content like this. Also, make sure you join us on our website, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com for a ton of free content and resources for leaders and those wanting to be leaders, and be sure to follow us on social media. I'm fired up to be part of this project, and I'm really looking forward to getting to work. Leaders are built, not born. Welcome to another episode of the Built Not Born podcast, man. This has been one I've been excited to get out there to people. I think, you know, when when we're putting these projects together, we're putting these guest lists together, there's certain people that just stand out to you um, that have been around some things and and have experienced different cultures and have examples of leadership in their lives um, that we really want to highlight. And and I think we have a guy here today that's going to do exactly that. So we're going to sit down today with Quinn Barham, who's an assistant strength coach for Ohio State football. He's now a Buckeye former Nittany Lion. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and turn the mic over to Quinn. We're going to let him introduce ourselves, and then we'll jump into this thing. First off, uh, David, thanks for having me, man. This is a, a tremendous honor just to be thought of um, in, in that way. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate the listeners and uh, watchers uh, watching on video as well. Um, my name is Quinn Barham, assistant strength coach at Ohio State Football. And this is going into my sixth season in 2021. Um, and I'm just very honored to be a part of such a great organization, uh, a great group of people, and be able to serve these athletes. A little bit about me. I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. Um, and so went to Hillside High School, awesome career there, and, and great time there, and was blessed to receive a scholarship to play football at Penn State. Um, and so I played there from 2007 to 2011, graduated with a degree in kinesiology, and was blessed, uh, fortunate enough to be elected captain by my peers, which is what I, which is what I think is one of the highest honors you can receive um, by your, your teammates and your folks that you, that you work with every single day um, and, and to serve as a captain in that 2011 season, which is probably one of you know, the most tumultuous times I've ever been in and been a part of, um, if you know some of that history at Penn State. Uh, had a great career there, played offensive line, uh, played center, guard, um, then started two years at left tackle and kind of an undersized guy. So I took pride in, 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 in leading and doing the best I could to make the most out of that position. After Penn State had a, a shot at the NFL and had an undrafted free agent contract with Detroit Lions. And I was with them for a short period of time. That was in 2012 from April to June. So that was, you know, OTAs and summer workouts and um, the knee injury cut it short. So I figured, you know, I want to get into strength conditioning, either physical therapy or strength conditioning. Um, and I went back home to North Carolina and, and, and moved back in with my parents and kind of regroup. So from there, um, I was just volunteering at various universities in the area. So down there you have in the, in the triangle area of Raleigh-Durham, you have Duke University, North Carolina, NC State. Uh, North Carolina Central, North Carolina A&T, Wake Forest, so many schools. And I frequented each one, just volunteering and learning from different coaches um, while working at the grocery store, coaching high school football, trying to get certified. Um, 
So I was doing that for a while and landed my first job in 2014 at UNC under uh, Lou Hernandez and Coach Larry Fedora. 2015, went to right across the street to NC State under Coach Jason Velkamp and Coach Dave Dorn. And then 2016, by the grace of God, I find myself at Ohio State working under Coach Mickey Marotti, Coach Urban Meyer, and now um, led by Coach Ryan Day. So it's been a it's been a short but exciting career thus far, and I'm excited for the future. Oh man, and that's that's so cool. And I always say this, man. I love hearing people's kind of origin stories because I think it tells you so much about a what type of person they are. Um, be some of the experiences they've had. And then I think it kind of gives you a glimpse into like people that end up in, in positions such as the one you're in, some of the ones that, that I've been lucky enough to hold it in my career. Like it's not by accident, you know? And, and I think you brought up a great point there of like, you're working at grocery stores, you're doing all these different things. Like it's whatever it takes to get the dream done. Um, and I think that speaks in itself to leadership, you know? So I, so I want to use that as kind of a segue into this first kind of topic that we're going to talk about. And that's, that's your influences, man. I think you know, I come from the camp of leaders are built, not born. And that's actually the, the slogan of our company. Like, that's what we believe. These skills are learned, um, whether you're consciously learning them or subconsciously. So I, I want to ask you, you know, who had the biggest influence in your life growing up and, and as you kind of went through your career even, and kind of what values do you think you took from some of those people? That's, that's a great question. Um, as far as influences, one I'm, I, I pride myself on learning. I like to read. I like to listen to people. Um, and I believe that you can learn from anyone and everyone, whether you learn what to do or you learn what not to do. Um, so I try to pick up things from every single person I come in contact with. And as far as influences, number one, I would say is my grandfather. Um, he passed away back in September of uh, last year, 91 years old. And so and he was always there. And so as I learn about leadership and I, as I learn about those characteristics, um, I see, I, I saw those same characteristics in my grandfather. He took care of his family. He worked every single day. He was a man of integrity. He was a military man. He was a prompt man. He was a dependable, trustworthy, knowledgeable. Um, he was a community man. He was a family man. So many different characteristics um, that made him special that I didn't really recognize until I got older and then when he was gone. And so between my grandfather, my father, um, various coaches throughout my career, I just off the top of my head right now, uh, Coach Mickey Mirati, um, just seeing how he, how consistent he is uh, in how he attacks his day. Every single day, this man is probably the most consistent people I've ever seen um, in, my, in my short time on earth here. Tim Kite is a big influence on me and his leadership um, information that he, and his material. Um, so many people, oh my gosh. Um, John Maxwell, um, D'Antonio Burnett at NC State, uh, Jason Velkamp, Lou Hernandez, um, Malcolm X. Um, so many people who just have impacted me just through their work and then through what they've given and the legacies that they've, they've left. I mean, I, I find myself watching these videos over and over again of how these people carried themselves. Um, great speakers, T.D. Jakes, Devon Franklin, religious folks, um, so many people. And I think the common thread in a lot of them, as I come into knowledge of it, is the number one influence is God. And if you really 
get into the word in the Bible and you look at what God does for his people, does for us, these are all the characteristics of these great men and women over time. So God would probably be the number one influence. But if you had to go, if I had to break it down into folks on earth that I've come across and spent time around, that list that I gave you would be uh, those people. There, there's no doubt, man. And I think, you know, I say it all the time. And I, I firmly believe this, like whether you're religious or not, the story of, of Jesus and, and the Bible and scripture is the original leadership narrative. Like it, it's the, the, that's where it all stems from, you know, and, and it's mm -hmm. laid out and the principles of servant leadership and all those things are laid out for us in scripture. Um, so whether you're religious or not, even if you're just a, a leadership buff, like read it because it, there's so much information in there. Um, and then what you see and, and what I really want to hit on here that I think is so cool that you brought up, like you didn't realize that you were taking these lessons from your grandfather, from your father when you were, because it was just part of their character. It was just who they were. Um, and ultimately being able to take those, you know, and it's like the, the Instagram picture that goes around, right. Where it's the picture of the, the father and he's got holes all in his body. And then it's the picture of the son and he's built from all those holes. Right. Hmm. So it's, it's the same thing. Like you take things from the people around you and you're able to mold this, this, you know, kind of group of, of characteristics together in these traits. Um, and ultimately you're able to put them, put them to good use, but it takes special people like yourself to be able to recognize those things and say, Hey, that's a characteristic that I need to hold on to. That's a characteristic that I need to hold on to and then build upon um, throughout your career. So I was going to ask what made you want to lead and coach, but it almost sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It almost sounds like it's just what, it's just what you do. It's just what, it's what your family taught you to do is to lead, you know, from, from a young age. And so, you know, again, you can kind of fill in the gaps here, but it sounds to me like the natural progression for you was to become a leader of some sort, you know, and, I, and it sounds like you were trained to do that from a very young age. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say it like that, um, because growing up, church members and just community folks, and this is from young, young age, I always, I always took a liking to helping classmates and helping folks that maybe didn't have weren't, weren't as privileged as I was, didn't have what I have growing up, um, whether it's you didn't have a father around or you uh, maybe folks with disabilities or whatever, I always gravitated towards those people. And I realized now that I had something that they didn't, but I wanted to give what I had to them in whatever way I could at that time. So people always say, like, you ever thought about going to teaching, going into coaching? And I'm like, when it came to teaching, I'm like, no, because I immediately thought about at that time, at a young age, you know, I'm thinking, oh, teachers don't make that much money, you know, long hours, and they got to deal with folks like me, you know. So, but now I'm I'm 31, and I'm like, and you, you look at the role of a coach. That's what you do. You teach. You 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 help guide folks from where they are to where they want to be and, and help them get there. So um, I think teaching and leading has been a like you said has been a part of my family and how I was brought, I just didn't know how to put it in words, but it's just always been in my actions. Even as a, as a teammate, I tried to be a guy that knew what was going on so I could help somebody else. If we, we got to schedule for the weekend, um, I, it was a little note card and I always kept it in my pocket over the weekend so I knew where we had to be, what time, and those type of things. He had teammates who lost a card. And, hey, come on, you, uh, you got that card? Where were we supposed to be at 3 p.m.? Come on, we're supposed to get the buses, man. What are you doing? But that, that's the type of guy I was. And I'm the same way now. And I pride myself on just being able to help other people. 
um, and using whatever strengths I have to help them in what they don't have. And I think this is a cool thing that I, I it just made me think of this as you were telling that story. Like so many people at a, at a young age um, are, are afraid to help others in a way because they're afraid that it's going to dim their own light versus for you. It seems like you gained energy from that and you start like you see other people succeeding because you were able to help them and it almost fueled the fire. Right. And, and as you kept going. So I think that's a really, really cool concept that you, you internalize at a young age that it's not about me and someone else's success doesn't take away from my own. No. You know, you, you were able to use that as almost a springboard. Like, hey, if I can bring more people to the mountaintop with me, we all eat. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's something we need to teach our youth um, at a younger age. And I think it's something we should do a better job of, which is why I'm, I'm so happy to have people like you that are coaching. Um, the other thing that I really took away from that story was my, my first mentor told me, when we started our first day, he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a strength coach. He said, wrong. I said, excuse me, I'm standing in a weight room. It's, it's 5 a.m. I'm pretty sure I'm a strength coach. <laughs> he said, You're an educator. That's what you are. You are an educator. And I think that piece of, of coaching is sometimes lost. Like people think that we just do, you know, sets and reps, or we just do, if you're on the field coach, we're just doing hand placement and scheme. No, man, we're educating. We're, we're teaching life lessons. We're teaching things that that translate far beyond. But you have to be able to communicate those things. And you have to be humble enough to, again, know that it doesn't take away from you by helping someone else be successful. Because at the end right. of the day, it's, it's not about us. It never has been. It never will be. Um, you know, the, that's just the way it is. And so I, I think to hear you say that stuff again just reminds me of, of, you know, why I did what I did for so long and as far as coaching and why now I'm doing what I'm doing here is like, it's not about me, man. It's about if I can bring other people along and if we can bring other people along, um, that's, that's ultimately what this thing's about. And so we'll use the, uh, the, the college piece here. We'll transition into talking a little bit about as you learn that leadership at that level. Um, I think this is pretty cool too. So you, you were a captain at Penn state. Um, obviously there's a ton of tradition there. One of, one of the most, you know, noted programs in the nation, one of the most tradition heavy. I grew up a Penn state fan, um, so I know, you know, that that emotion and that feeling that in, that exists in, in Happy Valley is different than almost anywhere. And I'm sure now Ohio State definitely rivals that, um, if not more. But when you come through there and, and there's these great players that you see on the wall, you see, you know, a LeVar Arrington, you see the, some of the guys that came before you, Daryl Clark, some guys like that. Um, you know, what are some of the lessons you took away from that? Like, like, where did you learn? What are some of the biggest things that you took away that you look back and you're like, Hey man, I learned that in state college. Like th this piece of it was something that, that came with me from wearing that blue and white. Oh, wow. Um, best five years of my life thus far. And coach Paterno, I was fortunate enough to play for him all five of my years there. And he had what was called a grand experiment. The grand experiment was to gather a group, of young, a group of young men from all over the country, different walks of life, different backgrounds, bring them together and to make them productive members of society through sport. And a common theme, if you ever meet Penn State football lettermen, we all carry ourselves a certain way. We walk a certain way, we talk a certain way. And a lot of times you might not have, aside from our stature, you might not know that we played football at Penn State. But it's a common theme of how can I add value to those around me? How can I be an example? 
in how I look, how I work, how I carry myself, how I speak, how I think. And so that was one thing that Coach Paterno tried to instill in us um, soon as we got there. I mean, and it was a very strict program, but if you don't have that discipline to keep you in line, you're going to go wayward. You're going to go all over the place and you won't have that, that foundation to keep you where you need to be. And so one, that's one thing I learned there. Um, I learned so many leadership skills and so many things. You know, I never wanted to let my teammates down. As, a, as an offensive lineman, that's probably one of the most selfless positions on the field. You're blocking so everyone else can get their, their job done. Um, you know, you're, you're, I mean, I, I broke my ankle there. I, I pulled a peck. I broke a finger. I did so many things, but it was because I didn't want to let my brothers and my teammates and the and the organization and the university down. They want to let my family down. So um, I learned independence there. Aside from my parents, but I learned independence. I learned, you know, how how to just live on my own, um, because that's what college teaches you. If you if you really use college for what it is, um, and, and and move away and really learn about yourself, you will see the fruits of that. And that's one of the things I saw from, from Penn State. And like I said, now I try to be a guy that, that's trustworthy, that's dependable, um, that knows what he's doing um, so that I can, I can help others reach their goals. Yeah, and, and it's so cool to see that because when you walk into a, a program like that and, and you know this is someone from the outside looking in, like, I feel like there would be such a pressure to maintain the standard you know, and to, and to really live up to these things that came before you and the people that, that came after, um, you know, I think that's, that's really, for me, for a 17 to, to 22 year old young man to be able to take that on, um, there has to be some leadership there to, to show you the way. So talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, some of the experiences that you had, like, what was the culture like with the older guys? Like, did they show you the way, like, how did you step into that, that role? You know, obviously to go from being that young guy to end up being a senior leader, like who were the people that kind of pulled you along and what did that process look like? Was it meetings with coaches? Were there leadership councils? You know, what are the things that, that set you up to be that captain? Definitely the older players and the older players, they were hard on you. They were tough on you, but they eventually showed you the way when they saw that you were able to handle it. So we're all kids at that age. But guys like Daryl Clark and Kevin Cousins and, uh, oh my gosh, um, who else came? St Stefan Wisniewski, um, so many guys that, that I played with that just took me along and showed me the way. Um, and in the beginning, they were tough. I mean, it wasn't any form of hazing, but Let's make it hard on him and see what he's made of. Right. And, and then when you see what he's made of at a, as a freshman, okay, we got somebody to work with. All right, he's going to be all right in a couple of years. Um, but they, they set things up where it was definitely hard on you and you had to learn. Throughout my life, I've kind of learned trial by fire. So they kind of just throw you in there, see how you do, and then they pull you out the fire and then help you uh, – um, learn how to survive in the fire, work in the fire. And so that's what those guys did. And we tried to do the same thing with the freshmen that came up under us. Um, maybe certain methods I didn't agree with, but okay, how can I be this guy for 
for the next freshman and uh, for Donovan Smith, for, you know, uh, Gerald Hodges and guys that come up under me, like, how can you, how can you be that guy for them, but be even better than the upperclassmen that, that helps you. Um, and so we weren't perfect. Nobody really knew, but we had great leaders and great examples in our coaches. I mean, these guys, these coaches have been around for at least 30, 40 years at a time. Coach Paterno was 85. Um, my position coach, Bill Kenny, he was, I believe, in his 50s, 60s. Uh, Dick Anderson, he was in his 70s um, when I was there. So you had, you had established men. Coach Larry Johnson, he was there, who was our D-line coach at uh, Ohio State. He was there. He was a big influence also. So you got men who they've been in the game for a while and they know what they're doing. They're family men. Um, they're successful men. So when you have those various examples, you can't help but to be like that. Right. Yeah, you had some knuckleheads, but the whole point of getting those knuckleheads was to eventually straighten them out. But you had so many examples at Penn State at the time, and I think they still have people like that there that can help these men get in line and get in line and thrive as they go through the program and leave the program. 100%. And, and I think, you know, what I'm taking away from this is it's almost like, and, and I think there should be in any great culture, there's a vetting process. Like you don't let just anyone into the culture. And, and when I say into the culture, I mean, really into the mix. Like you're always going to have, you know, the bell curve of people. There's always going to be that those low performers that are kind of hanging on the edge and just along for the ride. And a lot of them don't last long in great cultures. But I think, you know, what you're saying here with the, with the older guys is like, they throw you in the fire because they're almost vetting you. Like, how deep can this be a guy that drives the culture in the future? Can this be, or is he just going to be a guy that's just going to be here? He's going to be part of it. He's going to do what he's going to do. Um, he's going to help us win. He's going to do this, but he's not necessarily going to be a guy that's going to protect and be a guardian of our culture. And I think what happens is over time, when, when there's great cultures like that, you become protective of it. Like somebody handed the torch to you, you have to hand it to someone else. And it's exactly what you said. I want to make sure that they have even a better understanding. They're set up for even more success than I was set up for. Not because it's for me, but because this thing matters. This thing that is built here, you're being entrusted with it. And so it's my job to make sure that you're as ready as possible to pick that torch up and lead this program moving forward. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's a really cool thing that starts to happen in, in great cultures is that it becomes so important to people that not just anybody is let in and you, know, then you have to earn your way. In. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, it, no. it was burning in me, man, the culture at Ohio state right now. And I came into it in 2016. And as you spend time in it and learn more about it and you become a part of it, you don't let anybody mess with it. You don't let anybody touch it. You don't let anybody tamper with it. You don't let anybody disrespect it. And, and, and it becomes a part of who you are and becomes a part of your DNA. And so when new freshmen come in, when visitors come in, when anybody, family, anybody, when you're that invested into your program and to your culture, and you know what makes it work, you know what makes it's successful. You don't let anybody come in and, 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 and disrespect it and desecrate it. You just can't. And so, like I said, if anybody's coming in to visit, hey, can I take a picture of this? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, can I, can I go in this room? No, no, no. Um, and just certain things they don't know. Young players, 
we have a certain we have a certain set of rules and standards in our program. Um, one thing is is what we call plus two, and that's just teaching you how to finish, go beyond the whistle, go two yards beyond the finish line, over basically overdo your job within the confines of the rules. Um, and so when you see a person not follow that standard, not follow those rules, you take it personally because you know things like that keep your culture running smoothly. So when you're a part of an organization like that, whether it's your business, your company, your classroom, your whatever, your staff you're a part of, really understand what makes your culture run. Don't just be a participant in it, be a part of it and immerse yourself in it and you see why they're successful, why they aren't. And then once you find that, you become that and work to become what that is. And then when the next person comes in, when that new person comes in, when that young person comes in, you're able to show them, like, hey, this is what makes this place great. And this is what we do. This is how we do it. You got to fall in line if you want to be a part of this. And if you can't do it, if you don't want to do it, then, okay, well, you got to go. But we got something special here. You know, we're, we're making a lot of money. We made a lot of sales this year. We made a, a lot of profit. We won a lot of games. We don't let somebody come in and mess this up. And that's what those older guys did for me at Penn State. That's what Coach Mickey Marotti and Coach Urban Meyer uh, and, and those various coaches at Ohio State have done. And they're consistently doing it year after year. So when it comes to these new players and new staff members, you know, you you, you got to make sure you're tough on them because right. what you have is special and valuable. Dude, that see, you got me jacked up, man. Now I'm over. I'm ready to run through a wall after listening to that, man. That's that's big time stuff. And I think to to build upon it, I want to hear a little bit more because you got me you got me thinking now. Like you've been part of multiple conference championship, national championship appearances, the highest stage. Like, talk to me about the process of of continuing that culture and continuing that tradition at Ohio State, and also like building and maintaining. Like you guys have a culture there that never seems to graduate. Like, like it's continuous, you know what I mean? So, so talk to me kind of, what do you guys do um, without giving away the secret sauce, but like, what do you guys do to maintain that? What, what is the intentional? Cause it's gotta be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. Um, just talk to me about some of the things that you guys do to maintain that culture year after year after year. Well, our culture is simple and it is the word fight. We break down on fight every single day, every single practice and you're fighting to be the best. You're fighting to be the best version of yourself every single day, and in in life, it is a struggle. It is a fight. It's a fight to maintain integrity. It's a fight to survive. It's a fight to keep what you have. It's a fight to get more. It's a fight to um, be a great husband, to be a great son. I mean, to be a great teammate. It's a fight to be great at your career. So our our, our culture is fight. And we teach our guys how to fight, when to fight, understand what they're fighting for, who they're fighting with, who they're fighting for, um, and how that looks. And so we have, you know, various behaviors under each category. Um, but you want to fight for the man next to you, whether it's the strength staff next to me, whether it's the players that I have to serve every single day. Um, of the, of the coaching staff. How do you fight? You give everything you have every single play. You go as hard as you can with relentless effort, what we call four to six A to B, um, and plus two. Like I said, like I, like I explained before, plus two means finishing, going beyond 
what's required of you. And, you know, who do you fight for? What we call is power of the unit, which is you fight for the person next to you. You fight for your unit. You fight for your brothers, your, um, your family. So it, it's, it's, it's a variation of fight. And like I said, it builds off of itself each year because you're fighting for, you know, you're fighting for the same thing as a team, whether it's a championship or, um, or things like that, or just, just winning games, but you're fighting with a different group of people every single year. And you have to teach them how to do that. Um, and, and each fight is, is kind of different. It's never the same fight. So you might have to train slightly different. You might have to train, uh, you might have to think differently. You might have to, to, to learn differently. And that's all part of the fight culture of, of who we are at Ohio State. Man, I, I love that. I'm, I'm over here writing notes because it got my brain thinking immediately. So when, when you guys say fight, and this is where I think some, some coaches might miss, man, like fight is a very simple word. And I'm sure it's all over your facility. Am I right? That the word fight is, is pretty present. And, mm -hmm. and so it's one word it's on the wall but you guys take it from the wall to the heart like it, it go you know what i mean it's not just a word on a wall man it is it's your stated culture that's your stated culture we, we fight here but it's also your experience culture because it's also what's going on on a day-to-day -day, and it's exhibited in behaviors habits clear expectations you know these things are so clear that that's why that takes on the meaning that it does and so for all the coaches and, and teachers and, and administrators listening before you slap something on a wall, ask yourself exactly what, what Quinn just said. Can I lay out behaviors in each type of category that reflect this culture and reflect who we are and what we are? If that word or that phrase doesn't fit that, don't use it. You know, let, let it let it be just a, a, something you throw to the side. Pick something that fits and you can explain it clearly in each way. Like you're talking about all these different types of fights, like who are you fighting for? What are you fighting? How does that look there? It's, it's step-by-step. Step. It's almost like a manual. Like this is our culture. This is how you ingrain it in your character. So by the time you put that block O on, you know who you are and, and you understand it. And it really, really is who you are. Um, so I think that is so cool. And the way you said this, that it's different every time, right? So fight. And I, and I think, again, this is where people kind of miss when you assign these, these, you know, whether we call, call them hashtags, whatever, I call it a stated culture. When you assign these things, it can look different for different people. So for example, your fight looks different than coach mix, right? Your fight looks different than coach days, but at the, at the base level, at the fundamental level, you guys are fighting for the same thing. Exactly. So, so for those coaches that put out there, like another one is, is one heartbeat. That's another big one that a lot of people use. One heartbeat can mean something completely different for five different people on the team, but as long as fundamentally it's the same thing governed by the same values, it'll be successful. That's right. You know, so, so I think that's what's so cool about, about what you guys have going at Ohio State, man. That is that is absolutely um, the if – I, if I could define, you know, how to implement culture and what it should look like, what you just talked about is, is exactly it. Like, it's got to be clear. It's got to be non-negotiable. It's got to be something that everybody can take and internalize. Um, and then you fight for it, right? It goes from the head to the heart. When you, when you talk about it, it's in the head. By the time you start believing it and, and behaving it daily, um, it's in the heart, man. That That's that's absolutely awesome. You said but, daily. That's a, that's a key word um, because culture, culture is so important and it gets thrown around a lot. But I think people don't really understand to maintain that culture, what happens? You have to do it daily, hourly, 
um, weekly, monthly, yearly, because if not, you're, you're influenced by different things. Different things catch your attention. If you don't, if you aren't, if you don't have that culture instilled in you every single day, if you don't live it every single day and speak it and think it and breathe it every single day, you're easily influenced by other things. And that's why I think Coach Mick is, is I mean, he's, he's outstanding because every single day he doesn't let up every single day. And so as coaches, as, as his assistants and as leaders on the team, we can't let up every single day. We have to live that culture and fight because as soon as the players see us stop fighting, they're going to stop. But like last year, you had COVID, you had, you had COVID outbreaks, you had games canceled. And as, and soon as, as soon as a player saw a coach drop his head, you saw players drop their heads. But if coaches walked around with their chin high, tall posture, smiles on their faces, despite what's going on, the players do the same thing. And that's part of fighting every single day. Um, and, and, and that's what you have to do. You have to do it every single day. And it may become watered down, but I think, I, I think your culture is intact, at least in, in, in what I've seen. I think your culture is intact when you see it, when you see the behavior from your players. But when you get to the point where the players are mocking you and repeating that same word and how you say it and some of the same phrases, you got something. Yep. Players will <laughs> players will will mock Coach Mick. They they will they will repeat things he says and kind of make fun of him. Um, and and I saw with Coach Dave, even Coach Meyer, you know, players will will say the same thing he's they say and how they say it but you know that they're listening yep. and you know that they're getting, they're, they're being fed that message over and over and over again. And if it goes into their subconscious mind, when I'm in that adverse situation, when I'm out on, on high street on Saturday night and I might be, you know, I might have some liquor in my system or if I'm, let's say if I'm under a heavy bar, if I if fight and whatever that culture is embedded to my brain, I can tap into that and I, can, I won't let that circumstance defeat me. So like that's why culture is so important because when you get into those those challenges, what can you rely on? You rely on what you, how you've been trained. Dude, 100%, man. And and as soon as you you said that about players mocking you and it's starting to get in ingrained in you. So when I was coaching at, at Susquehanna D3 schools, my alma mater, so obviously, you know, for me, it's something special to get the opportunity to coach your alma mater. And we had our football program in there. One of our big phrases was always, I always said, it's not you versus anybody. It's you versus the boogeyman. It's you versus your demons. And I always said, you versus the boogeyman, you versus the boogeyman. When they got ready for their bowl game, they got snubbed, got left out of, of the division three playoffs, even though they were top five in every offensive and defensive category. Um, so that's, that's a whole nother podcast we could get into, but, but when they got selected for the bowl game, you know, somebody asked them, one of the, the school media people asked, you know, who do you care who you play or whatever? And the, the captain of the team said, doesn't matter who we play. We play the boogeyman. It's us versus the boogeyman. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Well, they came out in the bowl game. And I think I don't quote me on this number, but it was like 84 to three. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they hung 70, 80 points and showed the nation, hey, we should have been in the, in the playoffs. Um, so it's exactly what you're talking about. It's internalized. It's that's who they were. They're fighting the boogeyman. And it's the same way you say we fight, man. It doesn't matter what, what the circumstance is. Um, the message is the same. The values are the same. And, and so that's, it's so cool to see that when it starts to get rolling and, and you can attest to this, 
when you start to see culture roll, it's a really fun experience for a coach because you're like, man, y'all better watch out. You don't even know what's brewing over here. You don't like, like you knew in October, November, even during that waiting period that you guys saw, you knew something special was going on in that group. You knew that, you know what I mean? There's no doubt. And, and so for people that are outside the culture and they might say, we're shocked. You weren't right. Because you see it on a, you see the daily behaviors that reinforce it. And, and I think that man, that's as a coach, that's such a special feeling, um, you know, to, to see that and be able to be a part of it. So, so talk to me a little bit about the role that you as a strength and conditioning coach plays in building and maintaining that culture, especially like during the season. Cause I know the time starts to get a little bit more limited that you get with the guys like during summer and off season, you know, during the winter, mat drills, that kind of stuff, you spend a lot of time. It kind of gets cut down a little bit during the season that you guys are at practice and all those things. But what does that look like? What do you guys do from a strength staff side that really reinforces and grows that culture? Yeah, that, that's part of our job. Our job is to in, instill, enforce, and maintain that culture. We want to be um, almost the second voice of the head coach and be an extension of the head coach. So when, when, when the coaches aren't there, when they're off recruiting, vacation, or whatever they're doing, and we're the ones with the guys every single day, that is our job. Yes, our job is to train you and to improve your performance and prevent injury, but we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to instill and maintain that culture. And the players have to know it. So, you know, every day before each, each workout, Coach, Coach Mick will bring the guys up, bring the group up to his board, and he has some message for them, but it always, it'll be about the workout, about training, but he'll always have a message that is about a, a variation of the culture how it looks for that day. Um, let's say how, whatever that focus is, they, they, you know, this week or next two, three weeks, you know, let's focus on being a great teammate, fight to be a great teammate, fight to, um, to be set more, more selfless in training and show them how to do that. Um, so every day is it's an everyday thing for us. And we try to make sure we do that through training. So if you see a, you see a guy, um, Let's say if, if, if you, you're trying to teach guys how to, how to work on their posture as they accelerate in running, how can you fit the culture into that? And then, so we encourage our, our, our players to coach each other. So if we have a line where it's a, you, you and I are, are partners on a, on, a, on a sled sprint, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm running and you're going watching. We don't expect you to just stand there and just watch. We expect you to coach me up. We expect you to give me cues. We expect you to look for deficiencies. And it's our job to teach you how to look for those things and then what to say. Because a lot of times in training, players don't know what to say. They don't know how should I behave? How should I act? What should I say? And you don't want robots in there. You want, you want guys who love what they're doing, who embrace the adversity and, 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 and develop. Um, but you have to teach them how to do that. They don't, they don't know. So how we do that in training is we teach each athlete to be a coach and to look for things that don't fit within the model that we're trying to create. Um, and so we teach each other and we want to create other teachers and other coaches um, in the weight room with the players. 100%, man. And you, you hit on, I, I wrote that down word for word almost. That was, that was big time. You hit on something in there that I, I think is, is so huge in successful cultures is the feedback piece from everybody, right? It, it's not certain guys. So talk to me a little bit, like, are, are there things that you do to 
teach your players to receive feedback? Because I, I've found in my own coaching experience, a lot of times that's where guys struggle and, and young ladies struggle is both feeling capable. You give them the tools to give the feedback. How do you teach the other people to receive the feedback? Like, like is there something you guys do to address that? Um, so to kind of paint a picture for you, like, if you understand that I'm supposed to have my back flat on this sled drill and my back's not flat, or I'm supposed to hinge at the hip and I'm not hinged, and you come over and you say, hey, man, hey, dog, you got you got a hinge. Let's go. Let's go. You know, how do you teach that person that's on the receiving end of that to receive the feedback, not take it personally, and then put it into action? Because I think that's a missing piece a lot of times um, for kids. That's a great point. That's a great point. I see it time and time again. And we, we, we coach aggressively. Um, and our staff, we coach aggressively. And I'm, I'm learning that a lot of players don't know how to receive it. Some, they may, they may receive it, bow up and let's go. Some, they miss the message and they only hear your tone. They hear that tone and it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm getting attacked. And I have to check myself because clearly my message didn't get through to that athlete and it was probably my tone. So I have to check myself. So when it comes to that feedback or receiving that feedback, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. And a formal way of teaching that we, we haven't, um, but we have taught our players when it comes to leadership development with our players, how to speak to each other. You can still speak aggressively and be assertive without being disrespectful. Right. Sure. People think that if I use profanity, that can help drive my message. You don't have to. If anything, profanity might offend the person and feel like they're being disrespected. Whereas you can use the inflection in your voice or use the intensity in your voice to get your message across and then you reach that person. So we, we teach guys... If anything, in our leadership development with our players, we teach them how to deliver that message so that could be received. It could be received um, with, without offending. So, as far as how to receive that feedback, that's that's a good one. I got to think on that because you know how do, how do you teach that? I think if our if that person receiving it understands that, hey man, I'm your teammate. I love you. I'm just trying to get you better. I tend to see that a lot. Yeah. Whereas, and it's kind of after the fact. You know, say after the workout's over, after the fight is over, after the fight is over, it's like, hey, man, I, I you know, I, I kind of, you know, I, I didn't mean to talk to you like that, but you, you had to go harder that moment, man. Like, I needed you then. And actually, you talk about it afterwards. But in that, in that, in that moment where emotions are high and, and it's hot, it's hot in there, it, it's hard. It's hard, especially, you know, with the aggression of your sport, of a sport like football. Mm -hmm. I, and I get, I, the reason I brought that up is because I get that question a lot. I was just giving a workshop on on uh, leadership you know I, I do the leadership development as well so I was just doing a workshop and one of the athletes asked me you know coach how do we teach our teammates to receive feedback and the only answer that I could give them was relationship trust that was the only thing that I could give them was they need to know that at the end of the day I'm holding you accountable because I want you to be a part of the success that we're going to have but in order for you to be a part of it you got to do x y and z and I need that from you right now and I said the other thing is the relationship has to be, um, you know, I hate to use the word transactional, but there has to be a transactional aspect to it, meaning that you have made deposits into that relationship in the past that now you can make a big withdrawal, like holding someone accountable when it's hot. 
You know what I mean? Because if you didn't, then it's not going to go well, you know? So I, I tell them all the time, it's like going to the ATM. If I don't make deposits, I can't go to the ATM and, and ask for $10,000. And when you're holding somebody accountable and holding their feet to the fire, especially holding them publicly accountable in front of other teammates, that's a big withdrawal from that account. Mm-hmm. That's a big withdrawal. And so you better have the funds that you put in ahead of time to be able to do something like that. You know, right. and, and so I think, dude, it's, it's something that as coaches we battle with. Um, how do we teach that? You know, and, and I, I don't know that there's a right answer. And so my answer is always relationships. It's, it's always uh, start from the beginning, lead from the inside out. You know, it, it has to be that way. It makes me think about um, what Tim Kite has taught us when it comes to building trust. And it's, it's three things, your character, your competence, and a connection. So to build trust and, and enhance that relationship, people have to experience your character. They have to experience your competence. And do you know what you're doing as a coach? Have you shown them that you know um, how to train, how to how to develop people, uh, as, uh, you know, physically? Um, and then your connection. Do you connect? Do you all see eye to eye on something? Do you connect on some common ground? So when you meet when you meet those three C's, this character, competence, and connection, and people experience those three things out of you that's when they learn how to, they build, they learn trust. They learn how to trust you. And like you said, it doesn't happen at one time. It happens over time and I'm almost subconsciously, but you have to understand that in order for this athlete to respond to me, in order for my teammate to receive aggressive coaching, aggressive feedback, they have to experience my character. They have to experience my competence. They have to experience a connection. And when you have those things, Okay, cool. I can let you yell at me. <laughs> I can let you uh, speak to me in an aggressive manner because you want the best for me. And you see through, I, I can see through your tone. And I see through your words. I mean, I'm sorry, I can see through your tone and I understand your words. Yep, that's that's exactly it, man. And and it's crazy you say the, the three C's, man, because I teach something five C's and, it, and it's along the same the same lines. Um, so these, these principles of leadership and these principles of relationship and trust and stuff like we're all teaching the same concepts because they transcend, you know, they go beyond um, just the sport and just what we're doing. But I I love that you keep talking about this leadership development stuff. So I want to hear a little bit um, again, without giving away the the secret sauce, you know, what does that look like for your program? Is that something that just coaches go through? Is it something that just the players go through? Um, Give me just kind of a a 30,000 foot view um, because it sounds like it's very intentional on your end, you know, and I, and I know some of the work that, that Tim does there is phenomenal. Um, if you haven't checked out his stuff, you need to, because the guy is a genius. Um, you know, so just talk to me a little bit about what that, what that looks like and how Ohio state invests in developing leaders. Yeah, we have, we try to have a system and the, the system is, is the E plus R equals O model from Tim Kite, And it starts with the coaches. And so we, we meet and we try to figure out, okay, what does our team need? What are we missing? What are we, now that we're going into 2021, what is, you know, we have a new team. What are we missing? What do we need? What are we lacking? And so you bring that to Tim um, and then he speaks to the staff. We have staff meetings first and you address those things. And then he does a, he, he reteaches E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. And he teaches that to us over and over again, the different steps to to be successful at it 
then the position coaches, they take it to their position, to their linebacker coach. Al Washington takes it to his group. Um, coach Studd, O-line coach, takes it to his group. Strength staff, we take it and we, we work at it amongst ourselves um, and even work at it with our interns that we have. Um, but Tim comes in, teaches it to us in, 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 in increments and in segments, and then we go address it. And he challenges us, you know, how does, you know, how, how does um, press and pause look in your life? You know, how, how does press and pause look when dealing with a certain athlete? How does, um, you know, seek, seeking clarity, how does that look? So he challenges us to see it in our life and then we're able to take it to the players. So he wants to make sure that we have it down first um, before we go to the players. And then Coach Day, he'll address the team. He'll, well, he'll have Tim address the team. And then Coach Day will address the team later on in increments, teaching those same different concepts. Um, and Coach Smith does an awesome job in the offseason as well. So we try to hit guys with it year round uh, with those type of lessons. And that's that's big time. And it, and it's it's so big when you have everybody preaching the same message and everybody's clear on the message. You know, it's a common language within your program. And, and I think that's speaks volumes of, of the type of, of organization that you guys have there at Ohio State and the fact that you've recognized that, hey, we need to invest in this um, and that it, it, it is such an integral part of what you guys do. And guys, if, you, if you're listening to this, if you're a high school coach, if you're a, uh, um, you know, a club coach, whatever, and, and you're saying we don't need to spend time on this, guys, you can't argue with the result, man. You can't. I mean, if right. you put the time in and you put the correct people in the correct places, now obviously y'all do a, a hell of a job recruiting as well. But what do you do with them once you get there? You know what I mean? You, you develop men, you develop leaders, you develop these things. Um, so for you coaches that are out there that are like, man, we don't need to spend time on culture or I'm just going to have a one meeting thing. This is one of the best programs in the nation doing it year round, year round. You don't just, it's like planting a crop, man. There's always something to be done. There's always, whether you're tilling, watering, you know, weeding, you're doing, you're doing something always to get ready for the harvest. Um, and, and that's, that's phenomenal to hear that, man. So, I pre go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of building leadership and leadership development in your, in your program, especially working with young people and even with older people, one of the easiest ways to do that is to put them in front of the group. Justin Fields is a quiet guy. He's a very low key dude. He loves ball, loves his teammates, but he's a soft spoken guy. And we want our best players and our older players to get in front of the team and talk in front of the team because guys that have played a lot of ball, they understand why we train, how we train. They understand the, the they go through the fire of what we call a crucible in terms of training and a crucible of the game and a crucible of the adversity that comes with the game. And so a lot of players don't understand that. So we want to put guys like Justin Fields, who was, was a quiet guy, put him in front of the team, get him to talk in front of the team. Because over time, the message from the coaches, it gets watered down. They get tired of hearing from us. But as soon as they hear from their peers, the guy that's in it with them, that's in the fire with them, that's when you get 10 times more buy-in because you heard it from your best player. You heard it from your leader. And even if he's uncomfortable, he was uncomfortable getting in front of the team, we at least gave him a script, keywords, things to hit on, so that the message, even though Wesley, we wrote the message, 
it came from him. So then he gets in front of the team, he gets better from it, and then the team receives the message from him, which makes everyone better, creates the buy-in. And then you see some guys who know Justin. Hey, man, that's not like Justin getting in front of the team. That inspires them. Right. He did it. Maybe I can do it. Right. So that's kind of how we do it. We put guys in front of guy in front of the team and, and, and talk. Speak what's on your heart. And and you know, whatever comes out, comes out. But we're going to lead you and guide you on how to speak and how to do that. So organizations and, and teams, coaches, you got to teach your people how to do that. But you also have to give them the opportunity to do it and 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 um see how they do. If they if they don't do it as well, coach them up, correct them. But if they do well, keep doing that. And, and I, I think so we'll get on a little tangent here, me and you, because I, I think this is you just said something right there. Coach them up. So when we're in the weight room, man, everything we do from a strength and conditioning standpoint is tested, measured. There's data that's analyzed. But I see so many places where coaches leave leadership. They just give this the talk and then they just expect it to go like we're not measuring it. And, and by you saying exactly what you just said. Right. So you, you taught Justin the lessons. You put him up in front of the team. You let that test day. Let's see how you do. Now let's give him feedback on it. Let's measure it. Let's measure how the team responded to it. Let's measure it. Let's give him feedback on the performance. And now let's give him another opportunity to do it. And then let's let him teach it to somebody else. You know what I'm saying? So for me, that's got to be the system, just like it is with us. Like when we start with, with speed work, right? We start with the start. We let them do five yards. Then we then we do falling starts and we do all these things. And then we test it. We measure it. We give it feedback. We analyze it. And then finally, we let them rip. And I think that's for, for leadership. It shouldn't be any different. You know what I mean? I think there's got to be a, a system in place. And what you're talking about is, is exactly that, man. It's it's it, that's how you develop leaders. That's how you it, it becomes a team full of leaders. Now, it's not just one room. It's not just one player. It's it's a team full because we're developing each other. Iron sharpens iron. Right. Um, and that's that's the way to go about it, man. That's that's big time stuff. That's big, big time stuff. Um, so I, w- I want to ask you real quick before we get you out of here. I know you got you're a busy man. Uh, I got about four questions left for you real quick ones. This first one here. Standards are a buzzword, right? Everybody wants to talk about standards. Everybody wants to say, um, you know, in leadership and culture, we have this standard. We set these standards. And sometimes they end up looking like rule manuals. Um, so I, I want to hear a little bit about how you guys determine your standards. And then what do those look like, like when you're enforcing them? Like, what is it on a daily basis? Are there actual tasks that are standards? Is it like, hey, you're expected to be here 17 minutes or 18 minutes early? Um, you know, what is it? What are, what are some of the key standards that you guys hold? Well, we, we have goals for each player. And you have goals as a team. And we try to establish those at the beginning of the year. Like right now, you know, we're meeting as a staff to figure out, you know, what do we want? And one of our main goals in terms of football is, well, we have quite a few. But we want to get to Indy. We know that Indy is where the Big Ten Championship is played. Mm-hmm. You know that if we get to Indy, do well at Indy, we set ourselves up for success. He's going to the postseason. But even before getting to Indy, you got to beat your rival. So that's something we we enforce year long. So you have these goals as a team. And then you have goals um, individually. So we have standards in the weight room um, kind of based off of previous performances, combine performances. Um, and those are the standards that we want our guys to measure up to. But those standards are kind of really subjective in terms of each player. Like, you know, 
as a wide receiver, he made bench press 225 10 times. And while we may want more, but we give a range for that standard. If he meets that, I'm good. Try to improve it, yes. Um, but each player has those different standards. And so we're very transparent. And we want everyone to know what each guy's goals are physically. Um, you know, what, what your body weight needs to be by the end of winter off season. Um, what your body fat needs to be, what maybe a squat number should be, uh, maybe a three to five rep max number should be for you. So everyone sees it. We're very transparent with it. So the, the standard is very, very high for us. And if there's any deviation from that standard, as far as the fight culture, as far as the effort you give, the attitude you have and how tough you are in training, there's a standard for that for us in the weight room. Um, and if you don't meet that, then you're going to be talked to about it. So we, we instill that every single day, um, but it, it, it varies. It varies with different circumstances. So, you know, you, you teach guys, like as soon as the freshmen get here, we're going to teach them about the red line. And for us, the red line is a line that's outside the field. Um, and that's on our indoor fields or outside fields. So when you pass that red line, nothing else matters except football. Nothing else matters except what, you, what you're doing on that field. Um, homework, that stays outside the red line. Classwork, family, all that stays outside the red line. When you cross that red line, it's all business. And 100%, 4 to 6, A to B, that's when the culture really has to be uh, what we say it is. So things like that. Um, like I said, the red line is, is a big, is one of the standards we have. Um, just being, you know, understanding how to be coachable, understanding the expectations in the weight room. And so we, we have those in place. Um, we don't necessarily have a manual for that, but you know what it looks like. And then if there's any deviation from that, then that's when you have a problem that you have to address. hundred percent. And, and I think um, for you guys, you know, you're at a point where the behaviors are being modeled so often within your program that you'd have to be blind not to see what the standard is mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, if you're, if you're a coach that's listening to this and you're like, Oh, maybe I don't need to write my standards down. Listen, when this thing first started at Ohio state way back when I'm sure that these standards were, were clearly explained and clearly understood, you know what I mean? We're verbalized yeah. more often, but you're at a point now where your culture is rolling that you, you refresh them. Like you just said, you refresh them. You instill it every off season. We're going to talk about this stuff. Um, but you don't have to remind guys, of, of the red line because you got other guys on the team that I'm sure are reminding them. Right. And, and I'm sure that these things it's coming from everybody. And so you're at a point now where it can be a little bit more player led um, that I think is, is something that a lot of, of coaches at times, and I, I keep saying a lot of coaches, I don't want to generalize people. Um, but I, I think it gets missed. And I think people sometimes say, I want a player led team, but what they don't realize is all the work that has to go in on the front end mm -hmm. of having a player led team. Like you don't just, you don't just take your hands off and say, go ahead. You know what I mean? And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. It's almost like there's a point in the, in the great teams that I've been around and that I've had the opportunity to coach regardless of sport. There was a point where they took the culture from me. I didn't give it to them. Mm -hmm. They took care. They took it. They said, we got this. You're good. You know? And, and I think that's something um, when you get to that point, then the standards can become more exactly what you're talking about. Individualized. They can be, um, but they're still very transparent. Like you said, it's still, it's still KYP. It's still know your personnel and, and adjust accordingly. 
Um, but it doesn't have to be a rule book, right? It doesn't have yeah. to be a, hey, here's 15 things that you need to do to be a Buckeye. Like, it, it's not like yeah. that. No, and, and in terms of that that, that rule book, um, you know, we as a staff, stress staff, when we joined, when, when I first got to Ohio State, I got a manual of the behaviors, the expectations, the, the standards for a strength coach. Um, and so I read it in and out. I'm like, okay, boom, how, you know, how do I make sure I follow these things? And so each guy that comes on board our staff, he gets the same book. Um, but, it, you know, giving it to the players, we do, when it comes to leadership training, we give them that in writing. Right. And it's an actual workbook type session. Um, but, it, it, but as far as the, the standards of the program, you know, we make sure that they, we, we may, you know, we may post it on their locker. So we may write out certain standards when it comes to uh, the culture and put down their locker, especially if guys are having a hard time understanding or, or learning it, memorizing it. Um, we have a standard for recovery. So what we did as far as re for recovery, because our guys, they love to train, they love to work, um, but they, they're still learning the importance of recovery. So we made a, 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 a small sheet, almost like a five by seven sheet and put it on each guy's locker four tips on how to recover. And it's easy to see, it's in big bold letters. So every time they open up their locker, boom, they see it right there. Um, and, and so that's kind of, that's a standard for recovery. And we hold them to that every single day uh, with that. But it, it varies. So I think it starts, like you said, it starts with your culture and then you hold them to that, but then it's, it's different variations within your organization, recovery, training, nutrition, body weight, different things and, and, and even leadership. 100%. And for the people listening that are trying to implement this type of stuff, what, what Quinn's saying here is you identify what, what we call in strength and conditioning KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. What are the things that play into the success of your organization? You label those things. So so in Quinn's example, strength and conditioning is training, it's nutrition, it's recovery. It's, it's all these things that fall in line with that. And then you identify those and then you assign standards within each. So you have to find your areas of importance um, so if this is your first time trying to lay out, you know, a new culture for your organization, identify what's important, identify. And, and to be honest with you, the best way to identify is what's the type of shit that's going to get you beat, right? If you don't do it, what are the things that are going to get us beat if we don't do this well? Um, and usually those are your areas of importance. And then from there, you can add on top of it with your values, right? So um, some of the programs I've been around, it's extremely important to be active in the community. I know Ohio State, you guys do a great job being leaders in your, in your, along your campus in Columbus, in the NCAA as a whole, right? You do a great job being leaders. So I know that that's an area of importance, but it's not necessarily where you start, right? That's probably added as a piece of your cultural standards and a piece of those other things. Mm -hmm. So each individual, um, you know, arm or leg of, of your organization has to have their areas of importance. And then you can build upon that. I want to hit three real quick hitters with you, man. It's just going to be boom, boom, boom. Give me the first thing that comes to your mind. What does the word legacy mean to you? To me, legacy means having something of value that you've created that you could pass on to the people that come behind you. So you spend time in the organization, you know, what what do you hope to be remembered by? And then what can the next person that comes in your seat or the next person that comes through, what can they take that they learn from you that'll help advance them? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I, I want my legacy to be that I was a person that 
I created experience for my athletes. So if you work with me, that I created experience with you, like experience for you that you understood the importance of hard work. You understood the importance of knowing why you're doing what you're doing. You were educated, you were empowered, and you were prepared not only for the rigors of your sport, but you were prepared for uh, life after your sport. Love it. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Ignore the distractions and keep your head down and work. And something so simple, but you have to stick to it because there's so many things that can grab your attention that just aren't worth your attention. If you're worried about becoming the, the youngest head strength coach, you're worried about becoming the first this, the first that, then if anything, that's your ego driving you instead of your development. And I got caught up in that. And if I just keep my head down and work, I mean, the best I can be at what I'm doing, whatever task I'm given, be the best I can be at that as possible, then those opportunities will come and you'll be prepared for those opportunities. So keep your head down and work, ignore the distractions. Love it. Last question, man, here. If you weren't coaching, where would you be? What would you be doing? I'd be in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be in a classroom. Um, I love young people. I, I, I love... I, I love seeing, I love watching people learn. And I love when people make connections to something that they've been taught. Um, to see an athlete, that light bulb go on after you've used a specific analogy to get a point across, or they actually use what you taught them. Um, I think that that is one of the most fulfilling experiences ever. So I'd probably be in the classroom. What um, what subject I'd be teaching? I have no idea. Maybe a, a counselor or something like that. But um, I'm understanding that teaching is my thing, and, and especially for young men, I feel like we don't have. I believe that we don't have enough strong male influences around us. Um, and if they are, then they, you know, it's, it's hard to find them. And so you you see a lot of broken families now. You, you, you don't see um, many fathers around and it affects the children, it affects the family. So I wanna make sure that if I can be a positive male influence in a young person's life, whether it's somebody I coach or if it's just in a mentor role through church or whatever community um, program, that's what I wanna be. I wanna be the example of a strong male that this young person, if it's a young man, he wants to be like, and if it's a young woman, is someone that she wants her husband to be like. Yep, absolutely, man. And and you know that that hits home for me because I'm I'm a product of a single parent household. So as as an African American male that comes up, you know, without a father, um, one one of the things that I learned at a very young age when I when I got into sports and as I as I grew closer to my mentors and my coaches and stuff, and and when I became a coach, I had one goal, and it was in every office that I've ever had. Um, it's still something I tell everybody. I end most of my presentations with with other coaches with this this phrase, and that's "Be the man you needed." That's it. It's that simple. Be the man you needed. Whether you're you are like you said, mentoring a young man, and you're trying to set an example for them. If you're mentoring a young woman, be the man that they needed in their life, or the man that they would want in their life later with those same characteristics. Um, so it's so it's so awesome, Quinn. Man, th this has been phenomenal, and, and 
it doesn't surprise me at all that you're doing what you're doing and that you're having the impact that you're having just because having this conversation showed me so much about your character um, and who you are. And it really starts from the inside out, your leadership ability. So I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And I'm going to give you the mic here for the last couple minutes. Um, if there's anything you want to plug, any products, any social media stuff, um, any final message, wh whatever you want to give the people, man, the mic is yours. Oh, David, I appreciate you. I appreciate the invitation. Um, I appreciate the listeners. You know, I I, I kind of stay behind the scenes. I like to stay behind the scenes. I enjoy being behind the scenes. And I like other people performing and watching them perform. Um, so this has been an awesome experience. And I hope that, you know, this this message, this podcast, it reaches at least one. As long as it reaches at least one person, I'm good. Um, so I really thank you all for the time. Um, thank you all, because I learned from this as well. And let's all get better together. Um, I can easily be reached at Twitter, Instagram, um, at Quinn Barham, Q-U-I-N-N-B-A-R-H-A-M. It's just my name, first name, last name. Same picture on each profile. I'm the same. Try to keep it consistent. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook. But yeah, Twitter and Instagram, that's where you'll find me. And I'm open to talking, more dialogue. And I'm open to anybody. Like I said before, I believe I can learn from anyone and everyone. So let's talk. Let's continue to dialogue. And remember, it's not about us. It's about those that we serve. Awesome. Thanks a ton, Quinn, man. We'll, we'll connect soon and we'll make sure that everything that you guys talked about today, we'll link it up in the show notes as well. Make sure we got some quotes in there from you. Um, can't thank you enough, brother. We'll, we'll connect soon. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. Again, that was Coach Quinn Barham, Assistant Strength Coach at Ohio State. Um, and that's one of those conversations that I think will go down as one of the best that we've had here on the Built Not Born podcast. Uh, to listen to Coach talk about how intentional the, the leadership development and the culture is at Ohio State, man, they leave nothing up to chance. And that's why they're so special and, and why they are continuously at the top of their game. You know, and to hear him talking about the principles that he learned at Ohio State and some of the other cultures that he's been involved in, um, there's no doubt that he has a deep understanding of how to develop leaders and how to develop young men and women. And so for anybody listening to this, man, please go back and, and double check some of that stuff and listen to it again, because he pretty much lays out the game plan for how to how to implement these types of things within your own program. So we can't thank Coach enough. And again, if you guys like what you hear, please subscribe, share, leave a review, um, do all those things so we can continue to bring you guys content like this. Until next time, leaders are built, not born.